Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Because there's nobody in the grave now. Aren't you glad? Amen. Aren't you thankful you can't take a trip over somewhere into the Middle East and look at the grave of Jesus and know his body is there? Aren't you glad that's not true and that he has risen from the dead? Anybody here besides me glad of that this morning? Hey, I would say about him. Yeah, give him a little praise this morning if you feel led. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. He's good and gracious and kind and wonderful. This morning, I'm inviting you to join me in the gospel according to Matthew. If you will, find chapter number 13, Matthew chapter 13. Any of you, let me see if anybody's glad to be here this morning. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Miss Rhonda McKay's glad to be here this morning. Actually, I saw that smile over a lot of them, amen? And so uh, just going through some heart surgery, and here she is in here praising the king. And I look around the room and see Sean got his beard shed. I had to look twice to see if that was you. And, and uh, I just want to say to you guys and gals, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, every heart adds to the atmosphere. And so I'm so glad that you came. And I'm not just saying, I really am. Um, I remember what it was like preaching to an empty room, to a camera with chairs in it. Let me tell you something. That is not quite as fun as you guys are, all right? And so uh, I'm thankful that you're here. And I believe this. I believe God's got a word for you, okay? So I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right to it. Matthew chapter number 13. What we're going to look at today is a message where Jesus is telling a story called a parable. And a parable simply is a story that has, it's a a heavenly story that has earthly meaning, okay? And so the story is gonna represent things. Jesus uses these as teaching opportunities uh, to teach those around him. And so he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. His audience, some of his disciples are there, some of his followers are there, some maybe future followers are there. But he's also speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, those religious elite that looked really good on the outside but had nothing on the inside. Matter of fact, Jesus described them this way. He said, you look like whitewashed tombs. The outside is painted up really nice. You, You look good on the outside, but he said the inside is full of dead men's bones, decaying bones. And that's just a a nasty illustration. And so from the outside, you can't tell the difference, but what matters really is what's on the inside. And so he's talking about these stories that relate to the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so today we're gonna join him on that journey, okay? And so I wanna invite you this morning to stand to your feet in honor of reading God's word. And if you have that Bible, turn with me to Matthew 13. We're gonna read verse 24. Are you ready for this? All the way down to verse number 30, all right? Now, we'll cover more than that along the journey, but I want us just to read that to, to set up the, uh, what we're going to look at together this morning, all right? Can you, anybody flash a smile in the house? Uh, y'all quickly go from praising the king to boy locked in and serious. And that's okay. I want you to be. I, I'm, I'm glad you take this hour seriously. And so let's dive in. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. So Jesus telling this parable. Here we go. Another parable he put forth, Jesus put forth in front of them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. Tares is a word that represents weeds, a certain kind of weed. I'm not going to say the name of it right here now, but it is a weed that in its, in its lifespan looks just like the plant wheat. The only difference is when the grain comes out, right? When it comes time for the grain to come out, that's when you know the difference. Only then, okay? So, 
But while men slept, verse 25, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and they said to him, sir, do you not want, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does this happen? How does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, well, do you want us to then go and gather them all up? And he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let, grow, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares. What's going to happen with the tares? Buy them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. All right. Now, you guys are kind of talking soft this morning. Uh, did you get your second cup of coffee today? Yeah? No? All right. Well, we're going to pretend you did. All right. I'm going to pray a supernatural touch on you so you'll wake up, sit on the front edge of your seat, and listen to what the Lord has for me and you. Okay, let's bow our heads together. And if you're our guest, you're probably thinking to yourself, man, we've done prayed like four times already. And the purpose for that is, listen, we are dependent upon God for everything good that happens. And so that's what prayer is, talking to God and being dependent upon God. So let's talk to him, all right? Will you bow with me? Heavenly Father, as we approach this hour, the assignment that you have given, what you've ordained is greater than we are. Uh, we can't preach and we can't receive unless you do it. So... I humbly ask you, Lord, help me now to preach this word. Father, put it on display that you've given the gift of preaching and the Holy Spirit to empower. And Lord, as you do that, help me to preach this word in such clarity and boldness and yet seasoned with such grace that the oldest among us all the way to the youngest understands and can make application. Now, Father, as you help me to do that, remind every man, woman, boy, and girl within the sound of my voice, that is proof. If you can use me, you can use anybody. And Lord, as you do that, I pray also that you would preach to me, which means I need you to silence the voice of my flesh and all the voices in this room of our own flesh that want to talk us into thinking about what's going to happen later today, this week, and what's going on in our lives. Instead, silence that voice, and God, silence the voice of the enemy, and may it be as if a bunch of your children are sitting at the table, one-on-one -on -one with our daddy, and you would speak life to us as if nobody else is in the room. Feed us from your table, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the title of today's message is going to be a little bit of a shock alert kind of message, all right? So I'm just going to put it out there and watch your facial expression, okay? You ready? Here it is. Be sure we are not all God's children. I love that look right there. What, what did he say? Uh, be sure. Be sure. Be, know this. We are not all, y'all help me, God's children. Now, the world would have you believe otherwise, uh, have you ever heard anybody say, well, we're all God's children? You ever heard that? And people make that statement, it's false, it's not true, and I'm going to prove that through the text this morning. Um, I know the idea is good at heart. We want to just all say everybody's included, but the truth of the matter is everybody's not included. And so it is much more loving to be able to come forward with the truth because it is the truth that will set us free. And so this morning, we think about what is going to be referred to in just a little bit as a counterfeit. Y'all ever been tricked by something you thought was something that really wasn't that something, anybody? Maybe it was a somebody you thought was a somebody, and you got something happened, you figured out they weren't the somebody you thought they were. And I want to just share with you quickly a story that happened in my life a number of years ago, a man by the name of Alan Carter. He was in the early worship time. He and I were coming back from a hospital visit, 
I was driving, he was riding shotgun. We were coming back down Hickory Ridge Road, just a little ways from the office. And as we're making our way down the road, there's a lady in her yard cutting her grass, Miss Sherry, and she's cutting her grass. And in her front yard, she has a driveway that's a little semicircle, you know, you can pull right off the road and pull right back on the road. And she's out there cutting her grass. Mr. Allen says to me, he says, and, and he got a kick out of this early worship time. He said, hey, you need to, this has worked out perfect. He said, pull up behind her in the truck and honk the horn and scare her. And I said, I said, now hold on, Mr. Allen. I said, what if, what if she has a heart attack or, you know, or something like that? It's going to be hard to keep preaching if they know that I you know, killed her with honking the horn. And he said, oh, no, we do this all the time. Don't worry about it. She got me last. It's my turn. And, 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 and so, now I should have stopped right there and said, now, wait a minute. This is between you two. But, you know, this has been years ago, and I'm not that wise now. I really wasn't that wise then. And so finally, reluctantly, I said, let's do it. So I pull up, and it worked out perfect. As I pulled my truck into the driveway, she's going right down the edge of the driveway. And I got about three or four feet from her. She never heard it because she had her, you know, she's had her mower running. And I laid on that horn, and she jumped out of that seat about this. I never believed a person could go from sitting, resting, still holding a steering wheel to this high off the seat. Do you hear me? And she swerved all off in the, in the driveway. And, whoa, we had the best laugh. And she looked at me, and she wasn't laughing with the look she had on. But once she finally settled her heart rhythm back down, got it out of AFib, you know, she said, she put on a smile, laughed a little bit, and I thought it was over. Now fast forward, I don't know, three months, six months down the road, I get home from church on Sunday evening from down at South Campus. Tina and the kids are already home, you know, because they oftentimes get home before me. And when I come in the door, uh, I see that, that, that Mr. Robert, Miss Sherry are at the house, and that wasn't just unusual. And they were, when I come in the door, I noticed that the kids and Tina and different ones are enjoying some strawberry cupcakes. And man, I'm telling you, um, something about a strawberry cupcake when you come home, I'm telling you, when you preach all day Sunday, you come home with a powerful hunger in the evening. And I saw those cupcakes and I started thinking, man, those things look wonderful. And the kids are eating them and they got icing on their nose and they're just having a blast. And Tina's, you know, everybody's having their, their cupcake. And, you know, we're having conversation, but really I'm not in the conversation. You ever done that? I'm just, you know what I'm thinking? I'm just thinking, I wish everybody would shut up and I just want a cupcake, you know? You know, I know, pray for me. I need grace, right? And again, this has been 15 years ago. And so I'm, I'm listening, but I'm not listening. I'm nodding and smiling, but I'm thinking, I bet them things are good. They look, I'm going to hurry up, get my, I bet they're still warm. And I'm, I want to get my cupcake. And so finally, they put one, they asked me, do I want a cupcake? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Well, I thought y'all never asked. And so they put my cupcake down. Everybody's enjoying conversation. I'm looking at that thing. And that, that icing, it's like got that, you know, it's got that like cream cheese with it. You know, it's just, I mean, I'm telling some of y'all, I don't know why I talk about food because I've lost you for the rest of the day. And so I'm thinking about this cupcake and I'm, and I, you know, you can already kind of taste it in your mouth and I'm looking, but I'm like, I don't want to attack the thing. I need to eat it easy. Right. Cause you, if you know me, I only have one speed. And so I'm looking at the thing, and I'm like, come on, all right, Terry, just take it easy, a small little bite, just, you know. And so I peel the, peel the paper back, I give me a little bite, and, uh, well, I got a big bite, and I began to chew. And as I began to chew, that thing swelled in my mouth, swelled, swole, I don't know what the right word is to say. It sucked up all of the moisture in my mouth, and the more I chewed it, the more it grew. You ever, you ever bit something like that? And I'm chewing and it's growing, and everybody's looking at me, and they're still talking. I can't talk because I have no spit, and I'm trying to think to myself, 
what in the world is wrong with these cupcakes? But you know, I'm trying to be pleasant, right? Because I don't want to tell her, this is the worst cupcake I've ever ate in my life. And so I'm smiling and chewing and smiling. I'm like, all right, big boy, you got to swallow this. But I'm knowing, I'm knowing if I swallow it right now, I'm going to go into choking fit and really cause a scene. And so I'm eating my cupcake, chewing, well, I'm chewing my cupcake over and over and over again. And so finally, finally, as I'm suffering through this thing, uh, she begins to laugh, Michelle begins to laugh, Tina began, everybody's laughing except me. And finally, I looked at my cupcake a little closer and I realized that what I thought was a cupcake was in fact a cornbread muffin. (laughs) She got me back. Now, the point I want to make to you is this. It looked on the outside, everything like a wonderful, moist strawberry cupcake. On the outside, it presented itself the same height, the same weight. Oh, well, maybe not the same weight. But you know, looking at it, there was no difference in the rest of the batch. But what was diabolically different is what was on the inside. Today's parable deals with what we're going to call the Christian versus the counterfeit Christian. On the outside, they look exactly the same, and yet the only determining difference is what is on the inside. So will you come along with me on a journey? And let's go through this parable with a fine-tooth comb and determine what it is. Why did Jesus tell it? What are we supposed to take from it? How does it apply to you in 2023, okay? Y'all ready to do this? This is yes. Okay, all right. So we're going to do this together, but also individually, all right? So here we go. I'm going to rewind back to the beginning. The first thing I want us to look at and take an observation of is found in verses 24 and to 26. And here's what I want you to jot down somewhere. Two sowers and two types of seed. Just write that down. Two sower, what is a sower? Somebody who sows seed. What does sowing mean? Is it a needle thread? No. The picture is somebody putting seeds into the ground. That's sowing seeds, all right? Now, uh, our young people in the room, and by the way, I'm so thankful that so many kids are in the room, and mom and dad, thank you for bringing the kids in the room, and if you have a crying kid or a kid that's busy, it's okay, give them something to do. Listen, we want them to be in here under the preaching of the Word of God, and uh, kids, I want to say to you, help me keep mom and dad awake, glance up every once in a while, and make sure they haven't dozed off on you, okay, if they have, bump them a little bit, not too hard, because it can get you in trouble, but also, maybe you draw a picture of some people sowing seeds, putting seeds in the ground. Two sowers, two types of seed. Y'all got that so far? Yes, all right, so let's look at them one at a time. Number one, let's look at the first sower, all right? So the first sower is Jesus. And Jesus sows, listen to me, I'm gonna prove it in just a minute. Jesus sows and produces sons and daughters. Y'all tracking with me? Jesus does. Now, where do you, where do you find that? Look in verse 37. In verse 37 and following, Jesus explains the parable in in, in actual terms, okay? So here's what he says in verse number 37. Jesus answers them because they ask him to explain the parable, and here he goes. Verse 37, he who sows the good seed, okay, is who? The Son of Man. Who did I call him? Jesus. So there are two sowers, two types of seed. The first sower is Jesus, and he sows the good seed. What is the good seed? Sons and daughters. He talks about that in just a minute. They're sons and daughters of the kingdom. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment in your mind's eye, not Jesus putting a seed into the ground, but sowing is representative of what is necessary for a harvest. Y'all with me? In other words, if you don't break open the ground and put the seed in it, you will never have a time to harvest vegetables or grain, right? There has to be sowing. So, 
as we find out that the first sower is Jesus and he sows sons and daughters, what is the sowing that was necessary to produce sons and daughters of the kingdom? I'm glad you asked. It was necessary that Jesus, what is the sowing of Jesus? Part of the sowing that brings the harvest, Jesus had to come down from heaven and wrap himself in flesh. He did so to show us what God is like, but also to be experienced what it's like to be us. He did so to preach the good news of the gospel everywhere that he went, and ultimately he did it so that he could die in our place, the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. Jesus did that. That's the sowing that he did. And by his sowing and his resurrection, he's able to produce a harvest of, you ready for this? Sons and daughters. Isn't that good? I got nobody smiling here, and I want to run a lap around here, and I scare y'all half to death, and y'all just staring at me. I don't get it. And so there's this good sower who sows sons and daughters of the kingdom. But there is also a second sower, okay? The first sower left the throne of heaven. What else was necessary? All that he went through to produce sons and daughters. The second sower is Satan, and I need you to understand something about Satan because you probably don't think about him a lot. And maybe you just say the devil made me do it, which generally is me and you that did it. But I'm afraid that most of us underestimate the fact that we have an enemy that is planned and versed, knows the Bible, uh, knows life, knows humans, because he's been at this for thousands of years, okay? So uh, Jesus sows and produces sons and daughters of the kingdom. Satan sows and produces, you ready? Evil sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the devil. Now, preacher, that's a little bit to the point. How can you back that up? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look in verse number 38. You reading with me? Go back over to where Jesus is explaining the parable. Verse 38, what does he say? The field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the, of the kingdom. We talked about that. But the tares are the sons, y'all help me, of the wicked one. Let me remind you, we are not all God's children. Let me say that to you again. We are not all God's children. There's a good sower, Jesus, and he sows. What does he do? He came down, bled and died, rose again, uh, so that he can produce sons and daughters of the kingdom. But there's also a bad sower, an evil sower, and he sows in order to keep people blind, lost, and under the control of the wicked one. According to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, you write that somewhere, every lost soul is under the control of the devil. 1 John 5, 19, that's the word of God. So his sowing is different. One was sacrificial for the benefit of the sons and daughters. That's Jesus. The other sowing is a matter of keeping people isolated and alienated from God so that they are all constantly yearning. There's a void that only God can feel. And if he can keep them in that yearning position, they'll turn to alcohol. They'll turn to sex outside marriage. They'll turn to all kinds of substances. They'll turn to athletics. They'll turn to all kinds of things. And they'll find that nothing fills the void. And they'll be in misery until the day they die. Amen. One sows for the benefit, the good sower Jesus sows sons and daughters of the kingdom through his shed blood and his resurrection. One sows sons and daughters of the wicked one. How? By keeping us alienated and separated from the God who loves us and desires relationship with us. Anybody tracking with me this morning? We are not all sons and daughters of God. Let me move on, okay? Now, what I wanna ask a question here, and I'm gonna ask a couple of questions as we walk through the message. You ready? First question is this. Why would they do it? Why would they do it? Isn't that a good question? In other words, uh, why would you plant seed? Well, you want to 
harvest, right? So why would Jesus do what he did, and why would Satan do what he did? Why, why do they do what they do? First, let's start with Jesus. So in your notes there, under Roman number one, put little number one, and let's talk about the good sower. His name, say it. His name is what? Jesus. All right, so the good sower. By the way, you're about to learn some stuff that's going to blow your mind. Are you glad? Am I glad you came to learn something today, amen, and be transformed by it? Okay, number one, Jesus, the good sower, sowing the good seeds, sons and daughters of the kingdom. How? All right, so let's talk about why did he do that? Why did he do that? Write down in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Why did Jesus leave heaven, come down to this earth? My goodness, didn't even have a house, was homeless man, nowhere to lay his head. Why did he allow uh, his people to reject him and ridicule him, mock him? Why did he allow people to slap him and to pull his beard off and to dress him up like a puppet king and mock him and reject him? Why did he let him mash a crown of thorns on his head? Why did Jesus endure mockery and ridicule and nails driven through his wrists and his feet and a spear thrust through his side, chained to a rock, beat with that cat of nine tails? Why in the world would he do that? Well, let's read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, somebody help me, he is a, oh, we mumbled that one like somebody died. All right, here we go again. Let's give it another shot. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, brand new. And by the way, I'm so glad I'm not who I used to be. Anybody else can say that? And I want to say one of my favorite songs right now is Jesus' fault. He's changed me inside and outside, up one side and down the other, and give me life worth living. Amen? Jesus has done that. Okay, why would he do that? Let me read a little further. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, listen to this. Now, all things are of God. Who has, read with me, reconciled us to himself? How did he do it? Through Jesus Christ. So, so why did he sow? Why did he leave? Why did he suffer? Why? So that... You and I could be reconciled to God. Now, you may be asking yourself the question, what in the world does the word reconciled means? And so somebody in here may not know what that is, can't spell it, don't know what it means. And it simply means to take something that was in right standing and according to a right standard and has gotten off and adjusting that thing back to the right standard. Are you with me? My great example is the, is the clock in my truck. If you asked me to borrow my truck, I would allow you to do that. And when you got in my truck and you were going by my clock, you're going to be 10 minutes early because it's on Terry time. And Terry time's not standard time, it's Terry time. And it helps me when I'm in the middle of conversations with people and all this stuff to stay a little bit kind of ahead, trying to think about where well, I got some other things that I got to do and things people I got to see and, and what have you. And so if you were to get in my truck, you'd have to reconcile the clock to standard time. Anybody tracking with me? You'd have to adjust it to the right standard. Now, that's what Jesus did for me and you. You see, in the beginning, in Genesis chapters 1, 2, God made Adam and Eve, and they were walking in right relationship with him. He was their God, and they were his children, and they walked together in the coolness of the garden. They enjoyed fellowship one with the other, and then man rebelled against God's will. And in that rebellion, our great-great-great-grandparents passed down to us one child at a time, a nature that says, I'm my own boss. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I don't care what anybody has to say about it. If you don't believe that's true, slip out and just go peek into the nursery. But if your child's in there, please don't let them see because they will tear the doors off of that thing and scream and pull the paint off trying to get to you, right? Why? Because they want you. It's their want, their desire, their will that dictates how they act. We're born with it. But Jesus came and the reason he sowed, and what was his sowing? It's not a needle thread. It's not digging in the dirt and putting a seed. It was coming down from heaven, taking on the form of flesh, becoming a man so that he could suffer and, and bleed and die as a man would, but also the divine blood of God would flow through his veins, the only blood powerful enough to cleanse somebody like me from all my sin. 
And that's what he did. He made me right with God. Can I just say that to you this morning? Jesus made me right with God. That's why he does what he does, all right? That's why he did what he did. And it's the reason that he has me here today called out to preach this word to you because he's after you, and he's after you not to harm you but to help you and to set you free and to reconcile you. He, listen, he wants you to be right with him, and he did everything to make it happen, okay? So we have the good sower sowing the good seed and the why he does it. Well, it's because he loves me and you. By the way, I don't understand that. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I know me better than you know me, and I don't, I'm, it's hard for me to understand that the God of heaven and earth, the God who created everything that is, would love me. Now, I didn't say I question it. I don't question it. You know why? I looked at the cross. He demonstrated his love for me. He's not proving it in my circumstances. He proved it when he gave his son up for me, right? So I'm not wrestling with whether he does or not, but I do oftentimes wake up in awe and wonder that he would love somebody like me. I'm fully assured that he does, but I'm still amazed by it. And I pray I die being amazed by the love that God has for somebody like me. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, but it sure is wonderful. And so today I want you to say, why does he do it? Because of his great love for the world, for his great love for you, yes, you, for his great love that he wants you to be right with him, that he made a way for you to be, for me and you to, to be right with him. But also, listen, I'm not gonna read the rest of that text in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21, but he also says that we would also be on mission and ambassadors of Jesus reconciling the world to himself. So why did Jesus do it? So that he would make us right with God in order that once we got right with God through Jesus, by grace, through faith, we would go on mission reaching other people in the ditch, pulling them out of the, of the blind, wicked faith, right? And bringing them to a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Son. Hallelujah, what a way to live. What a way to live. What a way to live. So Jesus, why did he do it? We explained that, okay? Uh, because of his great love for the world, he wanted us to be reconciled and to be reconcilers. How about that? Now, number two, second sower. We're talking about why did they do it? Why did Jesus do it? His great love for mankind. Why does Satan sow what's necessary to keep people lost, blinded, and separated from God, okay? Let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, I want you to write this statement out. Little number two is Satan. We're talking about the second sower. We're talking about why he is the enemy of God. Just write that out somewhere. He's the enemy of God. That's why he does it. He is always opposing God, and everything that God does, he opposes. Now, let's talk about why, all right? So, underneath this little two, I've got an A and a B. Why? It's two things about Satan that points to that he is the enemy of God, Okay? Y'all write it? Y'all tracking with me? All right, so little A, I want you to write this. He's envious of God. He's envious of God. You ever envied what somebody else has? Four honest people in the room. Yes, we have. Most of us have envied what somebody else has, right? And yet here we have in Isaiah chapter 14, right in your notes, verses 12 through 14, we find where I can prove to you that Satan's motivation is envy toward God. Okay, y'all reading with me? I wish somebody would get excited in here. We're learning some stuff this morning, aren't we? Hallelujah, I'm having a blast all by myself this morning, I think. All right, let's read Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, here it is, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my uh, throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And listen to the last statement, five I will statements. I will be like the most high. Sound like envy to you? Sound like somebody who wants somebody else's position? 
Sound like somebody else wants all the praise somebody else has, all the position somebody else has, all the power somebody else has? Yes. And so why is he the enemy of God? He's envious of God, okay? Now, because he's envious, all right, because he's envious, and by the way, it is the envy that motivates Satan to do what Satan does, not his hatred for you. He didn't care about wheat and tares. He just hates the activity of God. He hates for God to receive praise. He hates for God's plan of redemption and reconciliation to happen. And so he does whatever he can to oppose the redemptive work of God in the world, the reconciling work of God in the world and in you and in me. He's envious. And because he's envious, he opposes the work of God. Listen, he's too small to ever hurt God. And so the attack then begins to be on that which God loves. You know who that is? It's you and me. It's you and me. You know, you ever found somebody that'll do that? They, they can't hurt you, and so they try to hurt the people that you love. What a wicked heart. And so he's envious of God. All right, let me just move forward just a little bit. And so his desire is that he would keep God's treasure, the people of God, uh, human beings, uh, isolated and alienated so that they wander and grope in darkness, so that they had this misery that they try to fill in with, with uh, all kinds of things that only God can feel. Now, it leads him to be, uh, letter B, his envious nature leads him to be what I'm going to refer to today as a counterfeiter, a counterfeiter. Would you write that down? Satan is a what? How many of you have not really thought about that before, that Satan is a counterfeiter, all right? Now, what he does is, whatever God does, he tries to make a counterfeit representation of it. For instance, uh, God desires for me and you to have pleasure, right? And yet God desires for us to have pleasure in himself and in things that are good for us and wholesome and righteous and holy. And so what the enemy does, he presents things to us that look pleasurable, but in fact they are designed to harm us. Counterfeits them. Looks like if you do this thing, you're going to have joy. If you do this thing, you're going to have pleasure. If you rebel against mom and dad, if you have this sex outside marriage, if you just go ahead and drink the alcohol, it's going to make you feel better for the minute, and it will. Problem is it's fleeting. And you'll have to do it again and again and again and again and again. And your tolerance will grow. And so you have to do it more and you'll have to do it more and you'll have to do it more. And you'll end up living this miserable, empty existence. And by the way, the end result of the person who doesn't know Jesus is a judgment day that's coming. And the enemy wants to keep you there. So we have the motivation of Jesus, his desire and love for man to reconcile us to himself and to use us as reconcilers to those around us. We have the motivation of the second sower, Satan, whose motivation is his hatred and envy toward God that makes him a counterfeiter. Let me show you a verse in the scriptures, a couple of them. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. The apostle Paul is talking about these messengers of Satan that are even in churches and places, te false teaching. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. He says, and no wonder, what does that mean? And it's no surprise. It's no surprise that this happens. Why? Because Satan himself, you're reading, he's a counterfeiter. He transforms himself into an angel of light. His envy causes him to be a counterfeiter. And he'll try and counterfeit all kinds of things. Let me show you, all right, how he does it. How does he counterfeit? Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look a little earlier in that passage to verse number 4. Now, what I want you to do is that verse number four comes on the overhead. I want you, where you're sitting, I want you to look for the counterfeits. Go ahead and do that right now. Look for a list of counterfeit things that the enemy tries to present to mankind, all right? Just, just look at it for a minute. The first, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you, I'll give you a cheat sheet, first of all. The first is a counterfeit Jesus. Where do I see that? Preaches what? Oh, so if Jesus is, the, the biblical Jesus is the true Jesus, then there's a 
counterfeit. And you'll see it sometimes. They'll come knock on your door, you know, and want to cut your grass and do things for you. And I had a conversation one not too long ago, and they said, hey, we're just going around. We'd like to talk about the Bible. And I said, I do too. And I said, let me get mine, and we'll meet on the porch, and let's talk about. And so we get started. I said, let me, can I go first? Because I'm just excited about this. And they said, sure. And so I go to John 1.1. 1, 1. I say, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I said, I, I said do you believe in Jesus? They said, yes, we believe in Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? They said back, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. I said, oh, sounds good. I said, you know what, I believe, I believe Jesus Christ is God become man, and he's the only means by which man can be saved. And they said, we got to go. That's another Jesus. Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus is not a, simply a prophet. He's not an imminent ray of God. Uh, he's not an assistant to God. Uh, Jesus Christ is God become man, and he is the only means in which, by which man must be saved. And so there's, another, there's a counterfeit Jesus. Uh, there's a counterfeit Jesus that looks like this. You don't have to commit anything to him. You can just pray a seven-letter word and then live your life how you want to live it. That's a counterfeit. That's the Jesus of your imagination. That's another Jesus. It's not the biblical Jesus. Oh, boy, we're getting deep today, aren't we? See how uncomfortable things can get sometimes? I'm still having fun. I don't know about you. I just love the Word of God when it probes and, and truth gets out there, and all of a sudden we're confronted with truth, and we're like, whoa, whoa, let me chew on that for just a minute because that's not what the world's been telling me, and that's not what my mind's been telling me. So I got to let that truth penetrate, right? When I pray up here, oftentimes, God, like, like arrows from your bow, let your truth penetrate our hearts, not to harm us, but to set us free. Watch what happens here. So in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, look for the counterfeits. Look for them. What are they? For if he who preaches to you another Jesus, so there's a counterfeit Jesus, whom, who, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different, so there's a counterfeit spirit. The scripture says, test the spirits. Make sure it's the Holy Spirit, amen, that you're dealing with, and which you have not received, or a different, a counterfeit gospel that just says, come to Jesus, he'll give you all your dreams, Come to Jesus and you'll have big cars and, fan, and you'll, have all, you'll, you'll, you'll never want for anything and you'll never suffer and just come to Jesus. And he is a counterfeit. He's a liar from the beginning. And his desire is to sell you a bill of goods so that you will look like wheat, but in fact, you'll be a tear. Look the same one outside. Go to church on Sunday sometimes. Never committing to Sunday night. Never committing to a small group. Never committing to faithful giving. Never committing to service. Just visiting every once in a while. He'll sell you a counterfeit level of commitment. Now, the question was, how does he do it? We answered that through counterfeiting, okay? Now, the next question I want us to answer back in the parable is in verse number 25, okay? So just read the very first part, and I have a question. Here's the question. I think you'll be able to answer it, okay? When did he do it? What was that? While men... Now, what were these men? Specifically, he's referring to those men who were working in the field. The field is the world, and the world belongs to God, but we are in the vineyard. The servants of God are supposed to be working the field, right? Did you know that as a servant of the Lord, as a child of God, you're supposed to be working the field? Plowing the ground, planting the seeds, praying for lost souls, sharing your testimony, making this. You're supposed to be working the field, baby. I'm talking about doing what's necessary to bring the crop, bring the harvest. Okay, we got real weird quiet in here. I, I kind of like that. Let's shake that off, keep moving, okay? And so what happens next is, when did he do it? So in verse 25, very simply put, while men slept. Satan does the sowing of keeping people blinded and lost when the people of God sleep. 
You say, does it mean he does that at night? Oh, no. I'm afraid he oftentimes does his best work in the daylight. Why? Because oftentimes you and I have fallen asleep on prayer. Our lives are riddled with prayerlessness. We pray every once in a while, occasionally for our food. We make it very general. Lord, bless the food and bless so-and-so and bless me and forgive me and we move on. Our lives are not dependent upon constant prayer without ceasing where we talk to God from the moment that we wake up to the moment that we lay our head down. So we fall asleep in some areas, praying for the lost. Let me ask you, how many hours did you commit this week to praying for lost souls just in your family? When does he do his best work? When we have fallen asleep. While we sleep on sacrificing. We're sitting in a comfortable air-conditioned room on a padded chair, amen, and sometimes we'll complain and fuss about some nonsense, and while we sleep on sacrifice and we're all lives about comfort, safety, and pleasure, the enemy sows and keeps lost people lost, and some of them are our kids, and some are our grandkids, and some are our, our, our spouses, and some are our neighbors, and some are our coworkers, our brothers, and our sisters, while we sleep, while we sleep on holy living, while we say, hey, it doesn't matter how I live. I pray to prayer, and so it really doesn't matter. And while we sleep on holy living, our life has no weight attached to the gospel that we don't share. While we sleep, that's how the enemy does his best work. While we sleep on teaching our children the word of God, and we spend time sound asleep at the wheel, teaching them how to kick a soccer ball, throw a curveball, tackle with form, play the right notes on the instrument, and miss out on teaching them anything that Genesis to Revelation has to encourage them and show them how to live. When does Satan, how, how does he keep our children lost? Because we keep them on a the ball field. Now, I'm not saying ball fields are of the devil. What I'm saying is, can you imagine if we put the time, energy, and effort into teaching our children the Word of God in our own homes as we have sports? Can you imagine where, we, where they would be? When they step foot on the, on the campus of the universities, they're not duped by these highly intellectual type. They've got a faith that's rooted and grounded as mom and dad have taken seriously. I'm telling you, when does he do his greatest work? How does he keep our children lost? When we sleep on what God's called us to do. I'm telling you, when we sleep on giving our time, talent, and treasures to serve his bride, the church. He, he does it when we sleep on unity and we have discord about bylaws and building designs and the sort. And all the while, he sows seeds and keeps our friends and neighbors lost, groping in darkness while men sleep. Primarily, I'm going to close here. I know you're ready for me to move on. Primarily, he does it while we sleep on discipleship. Primarily on discipleship. When the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, come on, somebody help me, 19 and 20, has commanded, not encouraged, not suggested, commanded us. And how many times have you heard that? And you'll leave out of here again next week and you'll just go to work because I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. Can you imagine telling Jesus that when you get there? And you've heard it, and you've, it's pricked your heart before, and all, you've emotionally responded, and yet still there's nobody under your wing being taught what God's taught you. Oh, he's done it while we've slept on discipleship. We're not teaching them what we've learned. Others aren't teaching us what they've learned, and so nobody knows the difference between a wheat and a tear. When they come with a different gospel, we don't know. When they come with another Jesus, we don't know. It sounds the same. And so we're duped, and our children are duped, and our spouses are duped, and our cousins and friends and brothers and sisters are duped. They're duped and deceived, and they're living in this miserable state of chasing their tail while men sleep. God, wake us up. Amen? God, wake us up. Hallelujah. Let me give you a couple of verses. First of all, Ephesians 5, 14 to 16, what should we do? What should we do about this sowing of lost souls, keeping people in the darkness? Here it is. You ready? 5, 14 in Ephesians. Therefore, he says, what does God say to me and you? One word. Here it is. You ready? 
Awake, wake up, you who sleep. Maybe you've dozed off in your responsibilities, sir, and leading your family as a spiritual leader. Wake up, it's time today, not tomorrow. It's time to wake up and begin to make adjustments in how you're living. Oh, I wish today you and I would wake up. He says, awake for you who sleep, arise from the dead. Listen closely, and Christ will give you light. You don't have to do it, he'll do it for you. See then that you walk circumspectly. What's he talking about? Carefully, intentionally, meaning I'm planning my day. Today I'm going here to work. Today I got this going on. This person will be on my crew. I'm going to make sure that I'm sharing my testimony. I'm going to make sure that I'm encouraging with the word. I'm going to ask them what they know about prayer, teach them what I've learned as I go about my day. It's careful walking, circumspectly, intentional walking, not as fools, but as wise. Now, fool, the scripture says, is somebody who believes in their heart there is no God. Here's what that means. When I don't walk in carefully and intentionally, I'm living like there is no God. I move on to say, redeeming the time. What? I have the possibility to redeem the times? Yes, how? By stopping the enemy's work of sowing sons and daughters of the devil. How? By a lot of the ways that I just talked about. Now, when should we do that? When should we wake up? Should we begin a process of praying that God would wake us up? Should we wait a couple of months from now until we've learned a little more to wake up? Well, I'm going to give you another verse, Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. Listen to what it says. And do this, ready? And do this, it's on the overhead, and do this knowing the time is coming, right? A couple of months from now. No, no. Knowing the time that now it's high time. You know what that means? Past time. We're late if we wake up today. God, wake us up, amen? I'm praying, you know what I prayed this morning? I first opened my eyes, I said, God, wake us up. Rattle our cages. There's, I'm looking at a sea of people and, and they come in and there are wheat in this room and there are tares in this room and I said, oh God, wake up the wheat to reach the tares. Wake up the tares to show them Jesus is the only hope to become wheat and God, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. And I'm praying that for you this morning. I believe in just a minute as we have time to respond, I believe God's gonna do just that. So let me move forward if I can. We talked about, first of all, the two sowers. One good, Jesus, he's sowing. He sowed by coming down. He did everything necessary to produce a harvest. He died, he rose again, and he pursues us, right? Second one we said is Satan. He's the enemy of God. He's, an, he's envious, and it makes him a counterfeiter. And so he produces another gospel, another Jesus. He don't want, listen, he'd rather take you to hell from the, from the chair in the church house than he would from the gutter. Make you think you have trusted and done something. Pray to prayer. You're following Jesus for what he has to offer you never counting the cost. He's a counterfeiter. How does he do it? When did he do it? He did it when men sleep, when men and women, the children of God, sleep. Number two, I want us to talk for just a minute in verses 27 to 29 of Matthew 13 about the growth of the wheat and the tares. This is interesting to me, isn't it you? They're growing up beside each other. And these particular weeds in the Middle East in this particular day and time, they grew up and their, their, their structure looked identical to wheat. If you got close to them, the, 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 the most experienced farmer could not tell that the tear was a tear until it was time for the crops. And when time for the crops, the harvest, the fruit, to bear, right, one would be exposed. Well, they both would be exposed. Now, let's just talk for just a minute about what that looks like. Look in verse 27 with me. Are your eyes there, anybody? Hey, by the way, everybody okay? Have you learned something today, Amen. Oh, man, I hope you'll take this message out of here. Verse 27, so the servants of the owner came and they said to him, sir, did you, something's happened here. Did you sow some bad seed? Because we've been working this crop and all of a sudden this time this produced the grain. The wheat has a head on it. The other weed would produce a black seed. And so now we know that this isn't just wheat. Sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? And he said, how then is it, does this 
have tares. And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. I want you to think for just a minute. Verse number 30, let them, let both grow together until the harvest, the growth of the wheat. They look the same until harvest time, all right? And I look around this sea of faces in this room, and I can't see those faces on the other side of those screens, but I know that you're there. And as I look out across here, what oftentimes haunts me is I can't tell the difference between a wheat and a tear. And listen to me, neither can you. Now, you may think you can, but in that moment, you have just assumed the position only God holds. And so, uh, someone said to me one time about somebody else, man, can you believe so-and-so did that? Do you think they're saved? I said, man, I don't even know if you're saved. All I know is I'm saved, and the only other person knows that for sure is Jesus. Me and Jesus, the only one to know that. So then, we want to know for sure today that one is a born-again child of God, one is not, okay? But they grow up together. Now, we learn something else from this. We learn something as the wheat and the workers in his field, it's not our responsibility to what? Go and eradicate every cult. We're not supposed to go gather them up and have them killed or expose them. It'll, listen to me. It'll never be your responsibility, child of God, to join a team persecuting somebody else because of their faith. Wait a minute, preacher, what if they believe in something other than what we believe? It's still not your position, amen? And what'll happen is if you and I were assigned that task, we're gonna go out and eradicate all the non-believers. We'd mess up and kill some of our brothers and sisters, wouldn't we? And maybe they'd round us up. So he said, that's not your responsibility. You teach truth, you preach truth, you do those things necessary to grow disciples, and that's where you stay locked and loaded. That's our calling, and that's what we're supposed to do. And so don't get involved in talking down about. Don't involve yourself. Stay focused on the truth, and God will continue to be glorified in our lives, all right? So the growth of the wheat and tares is together. They look the same. On the outside, you can't tell the difference. I'm looking out here, and right now, if the rapture came, some of us would be snatched out of here, and some of us would be left behind in this room. How about this? If right now, we all died at one time, now, y'all relax, we're not going to do that, okay? But let's just say that we did. Some of us would be going into the kingdom of heaven, and some of us would not. There'd be some teenagers in the group, we got a big group of teenagers down front, some of y'all be in heaven, some of you wouldn't. Some of the older folk in the room, you know, tote their Bible, look like every other believer, say amen when other people amen, put a little money in the offering plate when, when everybody else does, some would be in heaven, some would not. And the wheat and the tear sprinkled out amongst us. We can't tell who is and who isn't. You better know. And you better know about you. Why? Leads us to point number three. You ready? Now watch this. Thirdly, let's look for just a minute at the separation of the wheat and tares. Because there's a season where they get to be together. And you can fool your wife. You can fool your husband. You can fool your children. You can fool me. You can fool everybody, but there's one person you stick out like a sore thumb to. Do you know that God is not up there confused about who in this room belongs to him and who doesn't? He's not confused whatsoever. He knows specifically every name representing a soul in this room that is his child, and he knows every name in here that is not yet or will never be saved. Wow. Wheat and tares. Which one are you? The separation. So they're able to be together. We're all together and we can enjoy it. We can all, hey, the scripture says God calls the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Do you know that? 
You know what that means? Some of us in here are not saved, we're not children of God, and we can go drink a cool drink of water from the water fountain. So can those of us who are saved. Right now in this room, we've avoided the humidity outside, and I thank God for air conditioning, don't you? And the tears in the room, those that are lost and separated from God. Now, you may have a form of religion like these people did, but you've not a true relationship where you've surrendered to Jesus. And so you get to enjoy the air condition just like those that are really born again get to enjoy the air condition. You get to go to work and earn a living by the grace of God, just like those wheat, the, the born-again Christians get to go to work and earn a living. You get all the benefit of God's justice and grace and mercy, but that all comes to an end at harvest time. Listen to what he says, the separation of the wheat and the tares. Y'all reading with me? Let's just do it in two groups. Let's start with the tares. Are you ready? I wish y'all would look up at me. Y'all ready? Number one, let's look at the separation of the tares. Write this down, little number one, write in your notes there. It's be, be a very pointed statement. The tares are headed to hell. I went to Hickory Ridge, and can you believe in, in 2023 the preacher used the word hell? All the other preachers around the world are preaching series on heaven, and you know Jesus spoke almost three times more about hell than he did about heaven? Why would he do that? Because he loves you, and he gave his life to rescue you from that very thing. Now, what happens? Read with me. Verse 30, and then we're going to skip over to where Jesus explains it in verse 40 to 42, okay? Y'all ready? Y'all tracking with me? Oh, come on, we got to close strong. Verse 30, let, let them both grow together. They can enjoy all the benefit of the field. They can suck up the nutrients. They can enjoy the sunlight. They can enjoy existing. I'm going to be gracious on the just and the unjust, but at the harvest time. At the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, that's why I said number one, the tares. First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles. Help me, somebody, to burn them. To burn them. Now skip over to verse number 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And he's not talking about the things we get offended by when we are kind of mamby-pamby in our walk and somebody says something and we get our feelings hurt. Not, not that kind of offense. He's talking about, by the way, God is the one he's talking about is offended. Anybody that offends God by disobedience and rebellion, anybody who transgresses his law and doesn't have Jesus is a tear. And the tear, listen, he says, they will gather out of his kingdom, verse 41, all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And verse 42, you reading with me? And cast them into, somebody help me. And in this fire, there will be wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Now, let's just talk about those two things really quickly. How many of you in here really love to cry? Like you wish you could cry 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I didn't think so. I was hoping nobody raised their hand. Next question, how many of you like me really dislike crying, especially like when people are around? Anybody? So most of y'all are neutral. Let me ask that question again. How many of you do not like to cry? Raise your hand. Okay, good. I was saying, man, you cats are weird. Y'all just don't, don't, it's all right. If it comes, let's just do it. Uh, what happens is when you cry, man, the pain is, brings it out and, and then your face starts to swell around your eyes and your, why does your nose stop up when you cry? Because tears don't come out of your nose. Anyway, I've got to look into the science behind that. 
But then you can't breathe, you know, and you're sucking wind through your mouth, and it just can get really bad, can it? Can you imagine crying for the rest of eternity? Without a five-minute break, you just cry. You know, if you did that in a room, air-conditioned room, for the rest of eternity, that would be the most horrific thing you could ever imagine. But now let's add to that for just a second, the gnashing of teeth. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever ground your teeth even by accident? You ever, your teeth ever hit each other? Oh, boy, it gives me chills thinking about it. Woo! How many have ever had your children do that in their sleep? Huh? You're going to see now I'll elbow one of them little rascals in a minute. Boy, they'd be wondering why they're getting shoved across. Hey, stop doing that. Don't do that. They wake up, you know, they're, what in the world's going on? Can you imagine grinding your teeth continually for eternity without ever stopping? Just gnashing your teeth together, just grinding them, grinding them, grinding them, and never stopping. Add to that crying the whole time. Add to that what he first began with, a fiery furnace. So you're burning. You're in outer darkness. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And you are gnashing your teeth and wailing. And in you still resides the desire and the painful want to sin. And yet there won't even be a cigarette to smoke. There won't be a drink of alcohol to find. You'll only have the want to, compounding the pain of eternity. You need to know for sure if you're a weed or tear. Because God's been good and gracious and kind to you, and he will be all the days of your life. But there's a harvest day. And at that harvest day, there's a separation. And what determines the difference between one or the other is simply what you've done with Jesus. So the tares will be in the lake of fire. But now let's talk for a moment about my favorite topic, that is the wheat. And if I could just for a moment direct your attention to verse 30 again, the end of it, and then over to verse 43. Y'all ready? We're going to land this plane. Look at the end of verse number 30, okay? So he says, let both grow together until the harvest. There's coming a time when the, just, the grace is going to stop and justice is going to flow. For He says, first gather the, the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. But, and I love this but, amen, gather the wheat. Now wait, listen to what he says, into my barn. Boy, I've been thinking about that as I've been reading over this scripture this week, into my barn. I can't wait to go to his barn. I, listen to me. I can't wait to go to his barn. Now, listen, I think for just a minute about what that means. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we get to heaven? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you, listen, no more will you suffer a stubbed toe. Your back will never hurt again. There'll be no such thing as antibiotics. Somebody ought to shout glory right there. Uh, there'll be no more IVs, no more chemotherapy, no more radiation, no more losing our hair, gaining our hair, no more sickness or weakness. You won't even have to take a nap, glory to God. You'll have energy like you've never had before in your whole life at the greatest day of your life will not compare to what eternity be like in his barn, amen? And there will never say goodbye or see you later ever again. Done away with is death. Somebody ought to be smiling this morning, I'm telling you. No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. I can't wait to get in his barn, amen? Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, Jesus said, he sowed. How did he sow? He bled and died. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And that where I go, you may be also. I want to bring you in my barn. Amen. And what a wonderful thing. But listen, all the wonder of heaven. Yeah, give him a clap of praise this morning. Amen. All the joys of heaven, all the joys of heaven pale in comparison to the crown jewel the Lord Jesus Christ. 
One day I'm going to look in his eye. I can't wait. People say all the time, oh, you're going you're gonna to be looking at the ground. No, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look him in the eyes. You know why? Because I can't wait to look into the eyes of the one who knew me better than anybody ever knew me. The worst wicked thought I ever had. He heard it. He was there. He knows it. And yet he loved me more than anybody's ever loved me. And I can't wait to look in those eyes. Amen. It's coming one day. It's coming one day. And not only that, you guys know I'm a hugger. I can't wait to hug him. And more than that, I can't wait to be hugged by him. And that day's coming. But until then, I want to keep pressing on for the glory of God. Why? Because there are a lot of tears in the room. And you'll never get that. The best you'll ever have is what you've experienced down here. And that's not the desire of God for you. The Word of God says he's not willing that one person should perish, and yet they will. Because God's given me and you free will. And you get to choose. And I wonder today if someone is sitting there and you're trying right now to reverse over your mind. You're rehearsing. Well, I did this. Well, I go to church. Well, I put a little offering. And you look just like wheat. I'm telling you right now, you're just drumming up all this evidence. And you look just like wheat. But on the inside, you've never invited Jesus in to be Lord, number one over all of your life. And therefore, you looked apart, but you're not wheat. But here's the good news. It's not too late. Today. God brought you from wherever you were. You know, you had a good, comfortable morning. I know probably it was a little hectic like most mornings. And you came here and, and, you, and you hoped to just hear an encouraging word and get fired up. And, you, and God has set you down and said, you're lost. And you've been trying to work this thing out and do enough to convince yourself that you're saved. And there's never a time you can go back and look at that when the Holy Spirit drew you and you said, the scripture says, you got to say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Somebody said, well, I just have always believed. No, no, no. The scripture says there has to be a one time when you, when you open your heart and you receive him by believing he died for you and rose again and then saying with your mouth, Jesus, I want you to come be Lord. And you have all, man, you may serve on a committee. You may teach Sunday school. You may run a camera. You may run the set. And there's never been a time you invited your life to be turned over. You've never given it all over to King Jesus. And you, you say, well, but God's been so good to me. Yeah, he does that. The wheat and the tares get to grow up and they have rain and sunshine and everything side by side but then there comes a harvest day. And my precious friend, I want to say to you, the harvest day's coming. You don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. And whatever you do, don't let the enemy sow a seed in your heart right now to wait a little longer. Wait till you get a little older. Wait till next time and keep you as a tear. Now, what I want to do is invite you to bow with me for just a moment. Would you do that? I'm going to ask that those back doors don't swing and wear them hinges out like we like to do, in and out, in and out, in and out. I wish those doors could just stay closed unless you have an emergency and you need to get out. Someone's salvation hangs in the balance. They are a tear right now in this moment, and the Spirit of God is wrestling them down in their chair. Don't be a distraction to them. I wonder if there are a brother and a sister in the house that would ease your way out of your chair and maybe to the far right and to the far left and just begin to petition heaven. Just go to the throne of grace and ask God, oh, God, I'm telling you, a lot of religious people in here that right now, if they died, they're going to hell. Would you right now come before the throne and just ask the Spirit of God to speak to hearts? Would you do that? That blinders would be removed, that Satan would be bound, that people would come to faith in Jesus? Young people, middle-aged people, older people would come to Jesus today and truly be saved. Maybe there's a certain name on your heart. Maybe you just began to pray for them. We're just going to settle in for just a moment with no music and just let the prayers of the saints go up to the throne of heaven. 
And I want to say with heads bowed and eyes closed, every head bowed and every eyes closed, not a soul looking around the room except myself. If you're here today and you believe you possibly could be a tear, if you believe that you possibly could be, and I'm not going to get you to come down front. I'm not playing any games with you. I just want to know how to pray. I'm not going to come find you. You ought to know well enough by now. I'll never do that. But if you're here today and you believe you could possibly be a tear, you're not certain about whether or not you certainly are born again, then I want you to slip your hand up and hold it up long enough that I can pray for you. I see you there. Just slip your hand up. I see you right there and right there. Just hold it straight up. Just, I see you right there. Nobody else is looking around. I see you right there in the back. I see you. God bless you there in the middle. I see you over there. Now, Father, I pray I see you over there. I see you over by the door. I see you there. God bless you for being honest this morning. Nobody else is looking around. Lord Jesus, I pray with all that I am, as these people right now, your, your children are storming the throne of heaven, begging you, please, God, save them today. Save them today. Eternity hangs in the balance. Oh, God, today, give them courage. Grant them faith. Lead them to repentance where they turn away from their way and turn unto Jesus. Help them to see it doesn't matter where they've been or what they've done or what anybody thinks. Who cares what anybody thinks? Help them today to humbly come and bow before you and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be Lord. And by the way, you can do it right out there in your chair. You don't have to come down front and do that. You can do it right back there in your chair right now. You could bow right out there, driving down the road at the captain's, captain's room, riding down the road in your vehicle at the nurse's station. Right now, you get off to the side by yourself, and you can talk to God, you and him. And you could do something like this. You could believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus is enough to make you right with God. And you could confess Jesus as Lord. You could receive him as your Lord. He'll come live inside you. I beg you, don't wait one more minute. Don't live one more day chasing your tail. Not one more day thinking religion is the answer. Now, I'd like to do this, okay? Just as we continue to pray, you guys, please continue just to pray. Beg God to save. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you. Maybe you came because you're supporting somebody else's baptism. Maybe you came because somebody drug, drug you in, mom and dad. I don't know, a friend, your wife, your husband. And right now, the Holy Spirit of God is hot on your trail. And it's his love that's chasing you down. And I wish unto God you'd stop running from him. And you'd let Jesus save you and give you purpose. Now I want to ask the question. Again, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Here it is, just between me and you, nobody else. I'm not going to get you to come down unless you feel led to in a minute. I just want to know, has there been a soul in this building that has been, by the way, only one can turn a tear into a weed is Jesus. Has there been one, even one, today that has just confessed Jesus as Lord and gone from a tear to weed. I want you to raise your hand up. I'm not going to get you to come down front unless you feel led. Just slip your hand up. I see you there. Just slip it up. If you've asked him in your chair, Lord Jesus, come and be Lord. Just slip your hand up. I see you there. I see you right there. And back there in the back, I see you there. I see you back in the corner. I see you there. The Lord bless you and keep you. And now I pray that you meant it with your whole heart. Now, in just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity. And the opportunity is to not be ashamed of that and not be embarrassed by that, but to ask the Spirit to give you courage and to come down and let us celebrate and shout glory unto the Lamb. Father, I pray in these next moments that you give courage to those who need to come and just say, hey, today I made Jesus Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of believers that need to wake up. Wake us up, God. Father, I pray for the one who needs to come home, who's drifted far from the heart of God. Lord, draw them, save them. It's you. You're the only one who can. 
give them courage that we might celebrate with them. Lord, when we say amen, stand to our feet and begin to sing, I pray people just be coming down the aisle. I pray you do it now for your namesake. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.